It's exciting when um, you think you've kind of sat down with Jesus and repaired a message and then you hear people kind of saying what you're going to preach on and confirm, be able to confirm what God is already saying in our midst. So it's exciting. Um, so I hope you're as excited. And um, yeah, I'm on sabbatical, but I thought it'd be good to help out by coming back every couple of weeks and, uh, and teaching. I couldn't stay away, yeah. So uh, I'll... I'll, um, I'll, I'll make a sermon. I'll turn my, you'll notice something different about the cross. Those are eagle eye because my shoulders aren't as strong and as big and as round as, as Simon's. So uh, I've been going out with the cross most days. So I'll share my experiences with you in another sermon. I'll turn it into a bit of a teaching um, thing for you. So, um, but it's going well. I'm, I'm getting kind of uh, excited and um, meeting people. Okay. Let's talk more about what we've been talking about, what God has been saying in our midst this morning. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 12.9. We'll be talking about Jesus' amazing grace. It's the uh, part four. It's, we're going to close the, uh, this series that I've been talking about, about Jesus' grace being sufficient for us and his power being made perfect in weakness. It, it can be on the screen as well if you want to put it on the screen, Ed. Um, no pressure. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It's that famous, well-used and well-quoted passage about Paul's thorn in the flesh. He's described it as a messenger of Satan, a, a, a troublesome demon that seems to follow him around, or demons, whatever it is, causing trouble wherever Paul goes. And he's pleaded with the Lord three times, please take this this buffeting demon, this messenger from Satan, away from me. And Jesus said in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. We are tempted to see weakness, ours and other people's, as something that undermines our walk with Jesus and our witness to others. But This passage and Paul's entire experience tells us that weaknesses can actually be a testimony, not to our own strength, but to God's strength in us. Our weaknesses can be a testimony to Christ's strength, his grace, his power working in us. Now, even during the direst of circumstances, when a Christian thinks and acts in a certain way in times of weakness and trouble, the amazingness of God in our lives can still shine through. Is that true? Even when we're in the awfulest of times, depending on how we think and act, the amazingness of God can still shine through us in our weaknesses and our troubles. And do you remember last time, we looked at how Paul's encouragement to Timothy when he said, fan into flame, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. My weakness, your weakness, big ones, small ones, whether it's from the devil or not, we have a choice. Do we allow them to make us timid? Which is like throwing water onto the flame of God and quenching the flame of God that is in us. 
Or, in the face of weakness, your weakness, someone else's weakness, do we choose to look at Christ in us? Which is like fanning into flame the gift of God that is in you. When we encounter weakness and trouble, do we pull back or do we lean into the Holy Spirit? I remember last time I showed you pictures of the evangelist Martin Van Vuren. And then a couple of weeks later, most of you actually met Martin Van Vuren because he was the guy who was speaking at our Good Friday gathering of witness in Orpington. And actually, someone is here this morning that actually heard Martin and came forward in our midst this morning. So she might introduce herself to you later on. Okay. And I showed you a picture of Martin Van Vuren a few weeks before he preached in Market Square, Orpington. He was in Kenya. And his van broke. Their their 4 by 4 broke down. It was their day off. They were going on an excursion to have a rest, having, having kind of been on an amazing evangelistic tour. Now, couldn't God have granted them just one rest day without their car breaking down? But what happened? As they were there trying to fix the car, hundreds of faces appeared on the hilltop that actually broken down on a mountain near a school. And what did they do? He said this, We climbed up, met the teachers, and they gathered 100 plus children. Bruce and I preached the gospel Ninety children and teachers responded, and we prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So in the midst of their trouble and weakness, that's what happened. When we let, sorry, when we let him, how often can Jesus turn a, ah, what now moment? Sorry, that was a pirate, wasn't it? (laughs) I was not going to sound like a pirate. Ah, what now? moment, Jesus can turn a uh, what now moment into a ah, what now, Lord, moment. Yeah? Ah, what now usually comes from an attitude that can be quick to blame God. Or blame yourself. Or blame other people. The ah, what now comes often is a quick attitude to blame someone, particularly God. Whereas an ah, what now, Lord? What are you going to do right now in this troublesome moment? Ah, what are you going to do, Lord? Now that comes from an attitude that is quick to boast in God. Lord, and which is what you've been speaking on this morning, Lord, I know you're good. I know this looks bad. But what are you going to do? You're a good God. You know, every, he works in all things for the good of those who love him. To boast in God. God, you are good. Even when I'm sick, even when I'm struggling, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to glorify you. You are good. You're my answer. You're my rescuer. You're my shepherd. Lord, I've just lost my wallet. But I know in this thing you are good. Maybe you're going to restore it to me. Lord, I've just got to go to a meeting. I've got into the car and the battery's flat. Is it an, ah, oh, what now? What, what, what else is going to happen bad? Or is it like, ah, oh, what now, Lord? What are you doing? What good are you going to do? If you've been given four to six weeks to live, days to live, as Karen's experiencing right now with Dennis, is it an, ah, oh, what now, God? Or is it an, ah, oh, 
What now, Lord? And that's what we're seeing, aren't we? We're seeing Karen and Dennis. What are they doing? Are they blaming or are they boasting? We can testify to that, can't we? Karen and Dennis have been boasting in God. Okay. A couple of chapters before the one that we're reading. Now you stay, you stay in 2 Corinthians 12. But in a couple of chapters before that, Paul had written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now blame or boast. What do weaknesses and troubles bring out in you most often? What is your initial reaction when troubles and weaknesses strike? Your own or other people's? I've got to admit that I'm, my natural tendency is to immediately jump to blame. God, why have you allowed this? Or what's that person done to deserve this? Or something like that. That's my kind of immediate reaction is to jump to blame. Now, can you remember what Paul said in response to his newfound Christ-centered perspective about his weaknesses? Can you remember what it says in verse 9? Where are you? He said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Jesus just told him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So then Paul goes, Okay, I choose to boast in my weaknesses, instead of blame, boast in my weaknesses for Christ's power to rest on me. Boasting gladly in weaknesses. What a nutter Paul is. No wonder he called himself a fool for Christ. Do you remember Paul saying that? I'm a fool for Christ. What about you? Are you a fool for Christ or just a fool? Because <laughs> I tend to opt for the first, the foolish thing really, blame. That's what I'm so quick to blame when I come across my weaknesses or troubles or other people's. Blame God, blame myself, blame someone else. Part of me is so quick to point, to blame and to point, whereas what I wish is that part of me would be really quick to praise. I'm quick to point, blame and point, but what I'd love to do is to be quick to praise. Sorry, that's... Ah. <laughs> praise. Yeah. I went, I didn't, didn't I just go, ah, then? I did, didn't I? <laughs> I did, in my weakness and troubles, I went, ah, what now? Praise God. <laughs> ah. He's going to use that. Okay. Yes, I'm quick to blame and point, whereas I wish I'd be quick to boast and praise. Okay. If only the praise part of me would take the lead more often. Um, have you ever been quick to blame and point and then been proved to be completely wrong? Has it ever happened to you? Have you ever ended up eating humble pie to God or to someone else if you've actually spoken out loud? That's the worst, isn't it? When you're quick to blame and point and you've actually spoken out loud. 
The thing is, when I'm a fool for Christ, I hardly ever end up being foolish. But when I'm foolish, when I am quick to blame and point, I end up often being the fool. In the face of weakness, everyone else might be blaming and pointing. But what should a Christian be doing? Boasting and praising. Boasting in God. Not yourself, but boasting in God and praising. Why? Why should we be like this rather than like that? Halfway through verse 9, Christ's power might rest on me. Therefore I shall boast all the more gladly that Christ's power might rest on me. Why? And because? Because Jesus' grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness. That's why and because. When it came to Paul's experience, the buffeting demon was having some sway in what was happening to and around him. Is that correct? Was having, is this buffeting demon having some sway about Paul's circumstances? Very much so. But because of Paul's boasting and praising, Jesus could keep having the last say. Satan might have some sway. But when we boast and praise, Jesus can have the last say. When we blame and point, no. When we boast and praise. And probably one of the best examples, we won't go there today, but one of the best examples, you remember when Paul and Silas were in prison? They've been beaten up, they've been arrested, beaten up badly. They're in the darkest, dankest central cell. They've got chains wrapped around legs and feet. They're miserable, should have been. But what did they do? They boasted at midnight. They could be heard singing hymns and praying. They boasted and praised. And what happened? Satan had some sway, but who had the last say? Jesus. What happened? The earth shook. There was a massive quake. Their chains fell off. The doors flew open. And what happened to the jailer that night and his family? He got saved, didn't he? Wow. Paul and Silas boasted and prayed. Now, I want us to look at another example of Paul that caused most people to point and blame immediately. But Paul, he actually boasted and praised. And guess who had the last say? Jesus. Now, do you know which instance I might be referring to? Is an instance where the people looking on were baffled as to how unlucky this guy is, how troubled and weak this man actually is. They just couldn't believe it. He was so unlucky. Can you remember what I'm talking about? Bitten by a snake, yeah. Let's turn there, shall we? All right. Actually, before we turn there, 2 Corinthians 11. Turn back a chapter to 2 Corinthians 11. We want to find out how many times did Paul say he was shipwrecked. In this really exhaustingly sounding list of his troubles, his weaknesses, how many times was Paul? Three, three times. Let's read in verse 25, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 25, in this amazing, awful list of Paul's weaknesses and troubles. He says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. Now, 
Paul wrote this list about five to seven years before the shipwreck that we're just about to read in Acts. So he's been shipwrecked at least four times now, okay, as well as the three times he'd written in that list. Okay? So, and this was the worst shipwreck so far. Okay? Acts 27. Turn to Acts 27. Paul has been arrested. He's in Roman custody. He's a prisoner of Rome and he's been taken to Rome to appear before Caesar. Acts 27 verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because it was by now, by now it was after the Day of Atonement, which is in late September. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. Oh, why is that, Paul? Because I'm on it. We don't know how Paul knew that it was going to be disastrous, but he's already been shipwrecked three times, hasn't he? So you wouldn't really want to be on a boat with, with Paul. But do you think Paul will get to his I told you so moment? Will he get that? I told you so, we shouldn't have gone. Yeah, okay. Verse 11. But the centurion, instead of listening to Paul, what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unstable in winter, or sorry, unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and they could not head into the wind, so they gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island in Calder, Calder, how do you pronounce that? Calder, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Do you know how many days it lasted in the end? Can you remember? Three? Oh, way more than three. 14 days this shipwreck lasted, or this, sorry, this um, storm lasted. Verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice, I told you so, not to sail from Crete, then you would have, been, you would have spared yourselves from this damage and loss. Paul was right in saying, I told you so. And it's nice, isn't it, to kind of feel, I told you so moment. But after a quick blame and point kind of thing, which would have been warranted, we argue, 
What was the best thing you or I or Paul could do in the face of trouble and weakness? As well as I told you so? Boast and praise. While everyone else is blaming and pointing, as Christians, we can boast and praise. And what do you think Paul did next after he said, I told you so, you should have listened to me. What does he do? He boasts and prays. Verse 22. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God, and it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. That's some boasting and praising in the face of weakness right there, isn't it? I have faith in God. He will save us. Now, granted, Paul had the mega bonus of an angel appearing to him. But with the ministry he had and the weaknesses and troubles he endured, he was well due the odd appearance of an angel or Jesus from time to time, time, don't you think? Yeah? Would you like, I mean, obviously we would like angelic visitations and Jesus appearing to us a few times encouraging us, but would we really like Paul's ministry, his troubles. Just because we might not have the same level of heavenly visitations, does that mean that we shouldn't boast in God and praise him in our weaknesses? No. Verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. Now, let's skip down. Just to save time, skip down to verse 39. They'd thrown out grain and all sorts of things. They hadn't eaten. Paul encouraged them to eat, for he sensed that we were just about to be saved. 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast, stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to the land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Okay, carrying on to chapter 28. Once safely ashore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Anyone been to Malta? Yeah. Marie's been to Malta. Maybe you can take me one day. Yeah? Okay. Once safe and sure, they found the island was Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed all of us because it was rainy and cold. 
Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. And when the bystanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess of justice has not allowed him to live. Poor guy. He's a Roman prisoner. He's just narrowly escaped Jeff from shipwreck. And now he's just about to die from snake bite. What tends to be humanity's initial reaction when we come across trouble and weakness? Ours or someone else's? Blame and point. To have so much bad luck, he must be a murderer or something just as awful, they're thinking. That's what they're doing. Does anyone remember the name Frank Drebin? Does Frank Drebin ring any bells? Andy, do you remember where he's from? Yeah. Police squad. Yeah, is it police squad? Okay, Detective Sergeant Frank Drebin. On the 80s TV series Police Squad and the film's Naked Gun. Do you remember him now? No? Silly, silly films. In one of the films, there's a scene where one of the detectives is undercover on a ship. And the bad guys are on the ship and they find this undercover police officer and they all open fire and they shoot this police officer in the chest multiple times. And because it's a silly film, he doesn't just keel over and die. What happens next? What happens next? He, um, he starts wobbling around and then he kind of bangs his head on an overhead pipe and then he, uh, he turns around and scolds his hand on the stove and as he's kind of going ho, 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 like that, he then turns around and leans on wet paint and he's like, oh, he's like, I got the wet paint. And then he goes over to the window, and the uh, window's still closed down, and he gaps it and chaps his fingers. So he's in pain there. And he eventually manages to pull his fingers away, and he stumbles back and stands in a bear trap. And uh, what else? What else happens? Uh, stands in a bear trap, and then, uh, yeah, in agony in the bear trap, he's, he hops backwards and falls into the sea. I guess so. I guess he died eventually. To the casual onlooker, Paul's apparent series of weaknesses beggars belief. How much trouble can one man kind of amass? Surely, even despite Paul's earlier boasting in the Lord and praising him, not even Jesus can have the final say when Satan has so much sway. But let's finish the story, shall we? Verse 5. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Which if I were Paul would have brought me quite a pleasant sense of vindication. And it would have been a suitable embarrassment for the point or the blame and the point gang. And would have been an encouraging end to the story for me. Thank you. But it's not about me, is it? 
And it's not actually about Paul. Who's it about? It's about Jesus. And his power being made perfect in our weakness. Not taking the presence of evil away, but in Paul's boasting and praising, actually ruining the devil's day. So, that's why Paul chose to boast all the more gladly in his weakness, because this is what happens next. Okay, Verse 7. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed, up, he welcomed us up to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. After His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Christ's power being made perfect right there in Paul's weakness. Probably look, people look at him thinking he's the unluckiest guy, the worst guy in the world. Did you know that to this day, 95% of the population of Malta profess to be Christian? Really? If you didn't hear that, Andy was saying that actually the anchors that were cut off at that sandbar were actually found and they're stored in a naval museum. Brilliant. Marie can take me to see it. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Because... Paul chose in his weakness, whether it was caused by the devil or not, this buffeting demon or just he was the most unluckiest guy, we know from scripture is probably the enemy, having a go all these times and causing so much trouble for him, stirring people up to get him arrested, beaten up, stoned. But Paul chose to boast in his weakness and to trust God and Christ's power was made perfect through him in that. 95% of the mortar are still Christian to this day. Well, no matter how weak and troublesome your circumstances might look to you and to others, what effect could Christ's all-sufficient grace have if you choose to boast in the Lord and praise him? Could his power be made perfect in our weakness? Could it? Now, throughout this service, God has already been speaking, hasn't he? Through you, through scripture, talking about even in the worst of times when Wendy said, I chose to praise him, to worship him, to boast in him, rather than point and blame myself or someone else or worse, God. Trust him, boast in him, praise him, and let his grace work in you and your circumstances and his power rest and be made perfect in those circumstances. Whatever your weakness, whatever your, whether it's from the enemy or not. Blame and point, which is our natural reaction, or boast and praise. 